Holy Week is upon us once again. The graces are flowing, the liturgy is rich, and the faith journey of Lent is reaching its climax. Today, we are blessed to have best-selling author Kendra Tierney here to help us celebrate the Triduum like never before. Stay with us. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hello and welcome. I'm Lisa Maladnik. Today we have Kendra Tierney here to teach us how to celebrate the Triduum like never before. Kendra Tierney lives in an It's a Wonderful Lifestyle fixer-upper in the wilds of unincorporated Los Angeles County with her husband, their 10 kids, aged 1 to 18, and some chickens. Kendra is a retired pilot and flight instructor who is putting her English degree to use as a homeschool mom and writer about all things Catholic. Her passion is liturgical living. What began quietly in their home with their children as a way to introduce the lives of the saints and the beautiful history and tradition of our Catholic faith now reaches hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. Through her blog, CatholicAllYear.com, social media accounts, YouTube videos, and many books, including the Catholic All Year Compendium, Liturgical Living for Real Life, she shares how obscure Catholic traditions have helped the Tierneys form a strong family culture and Catholic identity and have fun doing it. We are so happy to have you with us again, Kendra. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so much fun because you're one of those people that just has incredible creativity and stamina, and you're so invested in living out your Catholic faith authentically and having fun while you're doing it, as your as your bio says, like, I can't read your stuff without wishing that I could move in with you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Too much information. <laughs> what? <laughs> We have a guest room. It currently has my Glowforge laser cutter in it, but if you don't mind noise. <laughs> okay. No, I love the family circus. So here we are. It's Spy Wednesday, and you and your family have already been up to uh, quite a bit in the first couple of days of Holy Week. Catch us up on what you've been doing so far. Yeah. So Holy Week, I, I remind my kids, you know, my homeschool kids have the week off, but it's a working week. It's not a vacation week yet. So uh, we really like to spend the beginning of Holy Week, Monday, Tuesday, and today, Wednesday, cleaning the house. We partition it up into parts and um, and we try to get everything. It's, it's our big spring cleaning, but I would never, spring is way too broad. I would never do it. So we have a, <laughs> these three days cleaning and it makes me actually get it done so we can toss, you know, stuff that we don't need and organize things and uh, help keep the clutter under control and be ready for Easter. Wonderful. That's so smart. I love that. Because as you said, if we just say, oh, we'll clean in the spring, it, like it never comes, right? We, we just don't get there. It's a great to have a deadline. I'm going to read just a quick little excerpt from Catholic All Year, which is just such a popular book and so delightful. If you don't have a copy of this book, everybody, get a copy. You're going to love it. Um, here's a quote. Aha, and Kendra is showing, for those of you watching us on YouTube, we just got to see the beautiful cover. Okay, so here's Kendra in her book. As the end of Lent comes into sight, I like to focus on one of my favorite things about this time of year, saying the word triduum. 
And then she spells it out, trij um And when I read that, I realized I've been mispronouncing it my whole life, triduum. So, and then here she is again. Seriously, how great is that word? It's right up there with trousers, gubernatorial, and ladle. <laughs> but the triduum is more than just fun to say. It's also fun to do. End quote. How many of us have thought of the triduum as being fun? So let's start first, Kendra. What does triduum mean? Well, so it's it's a little bit confusing. It's the shortest liturgical season of the year, and it covers just the end of Holy Thursday into uh, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and then and then it actually goes into Easter Sunday, which is also part of the Easter season too. But it really covers those most important events of of Holy Week, and uh, you know Jesus's. Passion and resurrection are are part of this tiny liturgical season of the Triduum. Oh, that's really cool. So give us some context for the meaning of Holy Thursday. Let's start with that. Um, What's coming up tomorrow? Yeah, so Holy Thursday is a really busy day in our house. Um, we, We like to do what's called the Seven Churches Visitation. And the seven churches visitation is supposed to happen at night in the dark after the Last Supper Mass. And it was begun by St. Alphonsus Liguori in, uh, in Rome. And he and his buddies would go and visit the seven basilicas of Rome on the, that evening and visit the altars of repose, which we'll have to back up and talk about what that is in a second. But um, <laughs> But so that's how this seven churches visitation came to be to to visit these these places and sort of mentally be following Jesus along the road of his passion is the idea as we go sort of place to place. Walking is really ideal, but nobody walks in L.A. And, my, (laughs) you know, um, for as long as I've been practicing liturgical living in the home, I've also had little kids and babies and now that we have teenagers also, some of these late night things feel a little more manageable, but we do still have babies. So we started, you know, I just sort of decided I can't wait until my kids are all grown up. I can't keep waiting until a perfect time. We're just going to modify it a little bit for families. And so we just started going during the day and we visit seven different churches. And there's only over 250 churches in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. So we get to visit lots of different ones and of different rites. Um, and, and different Catholic, uh, Catholic rites and traditions, which has been really a neat thing to do. So we just pick seven churches and it takes, it takes hours and we <laughs> just, you know, we, we sit in the car and we drive to seven different churches and we do two, di- two stations of the cross at each one. And we get to see different churches and, and we're really sort of, you know, spending that time together because sometimes when you're just staying home, it just makes it feel like another regular day. And so in order to highlight it, we have these traditions that we do every year. So we know this is the triduum. This is these special days that we are really focusing on. They're not regular days. So yeah, with the seven churches visitation is really, is really great. Um, if you really can't get out uh, last, like last year, everything was closed. So we, uh, it, we, I picked great churches of the world. And we, uh, we found uh, churches that you can do a virtual tour of. And that was still pretty cool to get to 
you know, scroll around uh, online. So if you're not, if you're really not able to, to get out, but I, I recommend doing it, uh, doing the real thing if you can. Wow. I love that. And in your book, you mentioned sometimes the church is closed. So you do your stations outside. Um, but there's something else that you acknowledge at every church, whether you can get right in front of it or not. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we, we play, <laughs> we play find the tabernacle at every church, which is sort of a, uh, uh, <laughs> a, a joke, you know, 60s churches uh, um, concession <laughs> because sometimes the tabernacle is frustratingly difficult to find and you have to like creep around and like behind walls and and try to find Jesus. So we go in, we uh, and we we find the poor box and we make a little donation. Um, if we can find candles, we light a candle. We find Jesus <laughs> and um, and genuflect. And you know the idea is that after the mass of the Last Supper, which happens in the evening, they actually they take Jesus from the tabernacle. They take the Eucharist from the tabernacle in order to signify that he is gone. He is, you know, after the last supper, after his arrest, he's, he's away from us. And um, it's really, it's really beautiful and meaningful, I think tradition. So, so Jesus is taken away and set up in what's called the altar of repose. And it has to be in a different location. So you'll often find it if you're, if you're going to try to do these, uh, you know, do the real thing at night, uh, which I think seems really cool. But if you're going to try to do the You'll have to look in, you know, a parish hall or some other location where uh, where Jesus will be in the tabernacle on the altar of repose. And so, but since that hasn't happened yet, we just find the actual tabernacle and and kneel for a few minutes in prayer there, and then find the Stations of the Cross. It's a really neat way, I think to to emphasize the fact that even though there are so many different styles of church there are so so many different types of architecture but there are things that are constant in every catholic church that you go into you can find the tabernacle and in every catholic church that you go into you can find the stations of the cross so it it really highlights the universality of of the church even even though the you know architectural choices are not all my <laughs> absolute favorite. <laughs> right, exactly. And just for those of you who may not be familiar with the Stations of the Cross, there are 14 stations. So if you're visiting seven churches and doing two of the stations in each one, um, as Kendra was saying, this whole thing is to recall that sense of journeying with Jesus and his passion. And so what a beautiful way to link that to the images in each church to continue that progression. It's just gorgeous. Yeah. And as we, you know, as I talk to the kids about it, we talk about that Jesus had not only just his, his 12 apostles, but so many other disciples, so many other followers, and that really he was abandoned by almost all of them one by one, that who was left at the cross was, you know, just St. Just St. John and, uh, and, and the Marys. And, right. um, the Marys. And, and, and so, you know, we think about all of those people who fell away, all those people who, as Jesus was suffering, you know, uh, uh, got scared. And we can absolutely understand that. Um, we can, you know, we, we can. And, but in our own small way, we want to try to make that up. We want to try to show Jesus you know, you were, you, you suffered physically and emotionally, but we want to be with you now. And we want to travel with you on this journey as well as we can. 
Yeah. And and it just that just connected with, with the, that sense of us running away. We all have our moments of running away from God. And it makes me think of a homily I heard once about the road to Emmaus with the disciples leaving the holy city in dismay, talking it over. And once they've encountered Christ along the way, he reorients them back, uh, back to their mission, back to their community. And so sometimes in that running away, God finds a way to redirect us. And so that's just, the, just that thought, as you described, that many people fell away. There were very, very few who stayed. And, and yet that community became very vibrant very quickly. Absolutely. There is, there is redemption for all of us. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. All right. Um, what about some other things that you do? I know that you've talked about doing a modified Seder. Um, you have some really cool stories in there in your book. Oh, yeah. Thank you. That's, that's uh, when we get home from our, uh, our seven churches or, you know, if you're doing it at night, it would be before, obviously, but we like to do a last supper meal where we sort of try to approximate the foods that Jesus and his friends would have eaten at the last supper. We don't attempt, I know some people do a, a sort of a modified version of the prayers since, since that's not really part of our culture. We don't, we don't attempt that. And we, as Christians are not required to fulfill the obligations of the old covenant because Jesus is the new covenant and he has instituted, you know, he is, he is the fulfillment of the old covenant. So those, those old traditions, while they are beautiful and to be respected and good to know about, good to be familiar with, but we don't in our home, we don't actually attempt the, the prayers and ceremony of an actual Seder, but uh, but we like to have lamb and flatbread and bitter herbs. We like to talk about um, there's an applesauce-like dish called heraset that they eat in a Jewish theater represents the mortar that they used to, uh, you know, to build the buildings when they were in slavery. And the bitter herb salad uh, is meant to to remind them of this of this bitterness of this time in in Egypt. So there's just a lot of meaning behind, you know, and the sacrifice of the lamb and how Jesus is the fulfillment of that sacrifice. And, and you can actually look back and see that, you know, the things that happened to Jesus along Holy Week align perfectly with, you know, the, with the days upon which different things would happen to the sacrificial lamb uh, who would be sacrificed for Passover. It's really a beautiful um confluence, you know, the way that, that, uh, that God has, has worked out this story for us, this sort of tapestry uh, of, of the old Testament coming to its fulfillment in the new Testament. So, and plus it's a really delicious meal <laughs> and, you know, we don't, we, we do a, a handful of these feast type meals that the kids really look forward to where we have the same thing every year. And for us, Holy Thursday is one of them. Um, and all, everybody gets in on it. We listen to music, um, either there's a beautiful, um, Israel in Egypt by Handel is this, um, like choral, it, this amazing choral piece that where, uh, they sing, uh, in a way that, that, uh, brings to mind each of the different plagues. It's really, it's very cool and perfect for Holy Thursday. Um, wow. or you can always listen yeah, to the, uh, to the soundtrack of, uh, of the Prince of Egypt is, is also a good one. 
for that day. And that's a great movie too. If we have time, we usually run out of time, but we always mean to watch the Prince of Egypt. We usually have to, you know, catch up on it later. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so we have this, we have this family meal where we all work together to put it together. And it's, you know, it's a much fancier meal than a usual uh, weekday meal for us. And then we, we wash each other's feet. And I know that happens at mass. And we often do go, we usually go to that, to the mass as well. Um, but I feel like it's always this like slightly awkward happening at mass, which is fine. That's it, it, it's, it's good that it happens there, but, um, but I think in a family, I think you can feel more what it would have been like for Jesus and the apostles that for your dad to kneel down and wash your feet, you know, uh, your stinky teenage feet, that's, <laughs> that's very, I, I think that that gets to the heart of, of that we are serving one another and we know each other and we have a hierarchy and yet what, and, and yet we are meant to have a servant's heart for each other. And just so to wash each other's feet and everybody picks a name out of a hat and that's the person whose feet you wash. And, um, you know, it's always funny and, 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 and silly, but, but it, it is also very meaningful and you really get, you really get, I think that sense of what this day was like for Jesus. I think that's the genius of everything about your book. And you've moved me almost to tears just describing that, that it's more like what Jesus and his apostles would have experienced being in a family that just touched me so deeply that opened it up in a whole new way. And I think that's why this bringing the liturgical liturgical year into the way we live together is so powerful. Oof, wow. Uh, there's also something kind of comical in this section in your book. There's a there's a treat that you make. <laughs> yeah, so we for dessert always have a rice crispy lamb. And <laughs> lamb cakes are this traditional sort of, you know, grandma has a mold of a lamb cake and they look it, I mean if you want to laugh Google lamb cake because they are <laughs> hilarious and you know, you end up seeing ones where like somebody tried to outline their eyes with black and it's weeping and they have these like creepy black tears. I mean, it is easy <laughs> to mess up a lamb cake and that's fine. If you want to make up a, make a weird lamb cake, I am super there for that. that is great. But <laughs> um, we make a Rice Krispie lamb and those come together. You know, you can get yourself a weird lamb cake in a fraction of the time by using... <laughs> by using Rice Krispies. So I just make a big giant batch of Rice Krispie treat and sort of I or one of the kids now, um, you know, mold it into a Rice Krispie lamb and boom, um, you're all set. Uh, (laughs) Um, And then there's actually another service that's particular to the Triduum that uh, that happened. It it was it, it happened in all churches from at least the medieval era through uh, through the liturgical reforms until the liturgical reforms of the 1960s. And uh, it's called the Tenebrae service. And it, uh, it is based on a series of, of psalms and other readings that would have been part of the liturgy of the hours. And so this triduum service developed around it, where as we were talking before about how the followers of Jesus left one by one, there's this traditional candle holder uh, called uh, a tenebrae hearse. And sometimes you'll see them if you, if you attend an older church, you'll sometimes see 
these giant, you know, this giant triangular candelabra. And I remember seeing them in Europe and wondering like, you know, I wonder what, I've never seen them use that because it's only used for three nights for Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of Holy Week. And it has 14 candles, seven going up each side. And then one, the 15th candle at the top represents Jesus and the 14 candles on, um, along the sides represent, they're called follower candles. I have heard that term that sometimes you, you call all candles that sit on the side of something follower candles. And it's because they represent the followers of Jesus. And as you do these readings, the candles are blown out one by one, which represents Jesus's followers leaving him. Uh, and at the end, we're left with just the Christ candle uh, after the last reading. And that's removed, taken away, either taken out of the room or put under the uh, altar if it can't be seen. And then there's a strepicus, strepticus. <laughs> uh, I can't remember exactly how to pronounce it. I've, I only see it in writing because I'm the only one talking about this. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I'm not. There are some churches bringing back this, this service, which is really, really we had cool. It and two, see- two years ago, yeah. we had, it was gorgeous. Yes. So wonderful to have it, to have it in this darkened church and this loud noise that's supposed to represent the earthquake and the curtain being torn. And then the Christ candle is brought back showing us that, you know, that Christ's light triumphs. And again, this is something that happens late at night. It's a really long service, worth it, but a really long service um, if, if you're doing it at church. So we have come up again with a with a modified version with shorter readings. And you can get that if you if you search for Tenebrae on my blog. I have a free PDF download that that you can print out of the of the shortened version of the readings that uh, that we do, and we. I actually also have Tenebrae candelabra sets. Might be, uh, I don't think I could get them to you in time now, but for next year, if you want to get one, <laughs> um, I have wooden uh, Tenebrae sets, uh, but you can just find yourself 15 candles. And even if they're just little tea lights and light up and line them up and it's really moving for the kids. I, um, you know, I, I didn't grow up with stuff like this, but, but I see it in my children and how moving it is to have the, to have flame and smells and, and all these different sort of, you know, get to them through all of their senses. And it's so meaningful, but it's just such a beautiful ceremony to, to watch these candles go out one by one. And again, to define this triduum as here's, here's this thing that we do each of these nights and it's so special and unique. Wow. Wow. Yeah, no, just lovely. And it makes me wonder, too, even though it wouldn't be during Holy Week, if somebody did order your beautiful wooden tenebrae candelabra. I just think we'll, through this through this Easter season, it almost feels like we could do what we do with Christmas and maybe just take our time with some of these things. Um, of course, it makes sense to do it on the days. Those have incredible significance. But I would think there would be other opportunities to just break it open and do a unit, you know? And, and the other thing, too, that I've noticed as a catechist over the years is that children love fire. Even the most wiggly worm kid will sit and, like, stare into a flame. Like, you can actually hold their attention. Oh, it's absolutely true. If you want your kids to be quiet during prayers, light a candle. It, like, they are moths. 
Um, yeah, it's, it, it's absolutely true. And, uh, and this, we, we use a candle snuffer to put them out. And so that takes, you know, you have to practice your coordination, you got to hold it and you got to get it on there slowly. It's great. It's good. Uh, it's, it's good practice on a lot of things. Yeah. So, so the following morning, Good Friday, you have a, a really special tradition. Tell us about that. So our Good Friday is one of the only two required days of fasting we have left. What people don't know is that there are a lot, a lot of recommended fasting days that we don't talk about. But, uh, but if, uh, if you're ready to level up a little bit, you can, uh, you can also do all the recommended days of fasting. But Good Friday is actually still a required day of fasting. But in, in this sort of slightly confusing uh, liturgical tradition, the traditional food for the morning of Good Friday is hot cross buns, which are basically cinnamon rolls that are, just, you know, like sort of a roll of a bun shaped cinnamon roll with a with an icing cross on the top. And when I first heard about that, it's like, hmm, that doesn't seem right. But <laughs> Um, <laughs> but festive, the, uh, <laughs> right, right. But for a fasting day, we are, uh, we're permitted one regular meal that would normally be, you know, for us dinner is your full meal. And then you also have two collations, which are two smaller meals that when put together, don't add up to one full meal. So it actually having something that you really like for your morning collation is in its own way, sort of more of a, you know, it is, is its own sacrifice because you just have, you know, we make these, we, we make them, uh, you know, I make them the night before with the kids and there are these two little, these little buns and we each have two and that's it. You can't have more, even though you want to have more. Exercising restraint. Yes, exactly. You have to exercise (laughs) restraint. And then, uh, but, but yeah, so we have hot cross buns. If you don't want to make hot cross buns from scratch, you know, you could really use anything. You can go get Hawaiian rolls from the store. You can, you know, make biscuits or, or use cinnamon roll dough. And, but just, you know, make sure that it is a, a modest size and it has a cross on it. Even if you just cut it in with a knife and you kiss the cross and then you, uh, and then you eat the hot cross bun, uh, which is a, which, you know, that's how we start the morning. And I that's always lovely. encourage people <laughs> I really encourage people, it, it, you know, we are homeschoolers, so we get to set our own schedule. Um, so that's good. But I really encourage people, um, you know, whose kids are in school or who work to really try to find a way to have that day not be like any other day. And, uh, you know, when people ask me, I say, you know, if my kids were in a regular school, I would keep them home from school that day. I, I would take a personal day. Because, I like to think of it, you know, put, we want to put ourselves in that moment. We want to, to think about here's a loved one that we know is going to suffer and die today. And if that was my father, if that was my brother, how would I be behaving during that day? And especially, you know, maybe I couldn't, if it was somebody far away, maybe I couldn't actually be by their side, which would be ideal. But if I knew that that my loved one was suffering and dying that day, you know, I would do the minimum things. I would feed my children. I would get dressed. But 
you know, it wouldn't be a normal everyday day. I wouldn't go to work. I wouldn't, you know, go to, you know, an amusement park. I, I it, it would be at the forefront of my mind all day. So how can we recreate that feeling at home? So we don't do school. We finish getting the house tidied up. We finish, you know, the, the preparations that we, that we need for the day and for what we're going to have for dinner. But then we just try to keep, and it's really the one day of the year that I really try to keep all of my crazy rambunctious kids kind of quiet for the day. And especially from noon to three, when we, when Jesus was hanging on the cross. And so we'll go out and we'll go for a walk or we'll, you know, it, and we'll sit down and do Stations of the Cross coloring pages. We'll listen to an audio version of, of the story of the passion from an audio Bible. But just things, and, and if, you know, if you need to send the kids outside, I remember when I was first discovering liturgical living in the home, I was reading a book called The Year and Our Children by um, Mary Reed Newland, which is a great 1960s era liturgical living that sort of the the previous uh, run of, of, of liturgical living in the home being really popular. And she said that she always sends her boys out to muck the chicken coop on, on Good Friday so they can have something to do and be quiet. So, you know, you can come up with some sort of a, a chore, but just so that the day feels different, so that the day feels quiet and and meditative. And for some people, meditation for some kids and for some adults, meditation is going to work best, you know, when you just let them sit quietly and, but then other kids are going to need something to keep their bodies occupied so that their minds can think I'm more of the latter. So, um, I have something scheduled, something that I can kind of mindless that I can do with my body so that I can be thinking. Um, and, especially if you're able to walk to your church, we, we really love doing that. And ours is, you know, mile, mile and a quarter away, which is a really good length, little, even little kids can handle that. And it's, you know, it's a long plodding walk and we do it all the way down there and we kind of catch part of whatever of the services are happening at, at church. And we stay as long as we can be, you know, quiet and mindful. And then we head back up the hill to our house, um, you know, walking and we'll say the rosary and, but, but it's just that feeling of today is, it is a very unique and different day of any day of the year. Yeah. I even love that you said in your book that you wear kind of somber colors. That there's just this sense that, and there's something about costuming too. There's something about changing the way you look that actually does set a tone. And I thought that that was really smart. But yeah, hearing the hearing the story again, taking the walks, having things be different. It's so, that's just so smart. Yeah, and you're right. Changing, you know, changing how we're dressed and what we see, and you know, I usually. I usually wear bright colors. And so for the kids to see me in all black, you know, there, uh, you know, it looks different. And, and again, it's nothing hard and fast and I'm not going to go out and buy new clothes for people to, to manage <laughs> this, but you know, it's just a, it's a mindfulness. Yeah. I love it. Love it. Okay. So step us into Holy Saturday. Yeah. So after, after 3 PM, when, when we know that Jesus has expired, uh, has died on the cross, 
things change a little bit. There, there is sort of a, I think, a, a slight lifting of, uh, you know, of, of that somberness. We do, we do a fish fry for for our Friday night dinner. We we do uh, our last stations of the cross, and then on Holy Saturday, that is our day of preparation. And again, I love putting myself, trying to put myself in the mindset of what was happening there. And so I think about Mary, and I think about what would Mary have been doing on this day? She's just gone through the most painful, you know, heart-wrenching day any mother could imagine. And now it's over and she's home and she knows Jesus and she trusts God and she knows that somehow it's going to be okay. And maybe she doesn't know exactly how, but she knows that the words that God spoke to her are going to be fulfilled in some way. So I imagine that she went home and she cleaned herself up and she dusted herself off and she got the house ready because she figured somehow Jesus was going to come back and she would have been preparing some foods and she would have been preparing her home to welcome him. And so that's what we do on Saturday. We, uh, again, we avoid celebrations of Easter. We avoid Easter egg hunts and so tempting to do those on that uh, that nice Saturday. But, but we don't do any of that. We stay home and we put away all of our, we clear off, out all of our Lent decorations. We dye Easter eggs. We decorate our homes and we prepare food for Easter on that day. That's lovely. That's lovely. All right. So since we don't really have time to do a whole thing on just Easter Sunday and all of that, what's some one or two key thoughts you'd like to leave with us as we're heading in that direction? I, I think that the the important thing to remember is that especially if you gave it a good go on Lent, if you did the, you know, if you tried to do those 40 days of Lent with your kids and for and with yourself, if you held yourself to some standards, make sure that you celebrate the whole Easter. It's not just one day. There's 40 days of Lent. We have 50 days of Easter. So I really encourage everybody to find a way to make Easter feel celebratory for that whole time. So, you know, just little things like we don't pack up the the plastic Easter eggs, or or we also have little wooden uh, decorative Easter eggs. We let the kids play with those the whole time and they can put new Easter candy in the eggs and hide them for their brothers and sisters. When they run out of Easter candy, they can put goldfish crackers in them. (laughs) You know, we, and and to just try to have fun outings or family movie nights or things, you know, to, to, and special meals and special treats to, to set that Easter season as, you know, we made it through Lent and now we're going to celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. I I love the rhythms are so incredible. And every time the children go through them with you, they're experiencing them on a deeper level at a different developmental level. And God is speaking to their hearts in new ways. Everybody go to catholicallyear.com to find Kendra and Ignatius Press sells her very big best-selling book, The Catholic All Year Compendium. So look out for that. Grab yourself a copy so that you can have as much fun as the Tierneys are having all year round. Kendra, thanks a million. It's always just a delight to have you. And I hope we'll be able to have you back again soon. Yes, I hope so. So much fun. God bless you. Have a happy Easter. (laughs) Thank you. You too.
That's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com, where you can get online courses for your grade school, middle school, and high school student. Learn from the experts and make your homeschooling easier. Be sure to leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. And we'll see you next time here on the Homeschooling Saints podcast.